welcome to episode 10 of A Story Not Forgotten, brought to you as always by Capturing Legacies, because everyone's got a story to tell, and we're here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. My name is Liam Rathgaber, partner and anthologist with Capturing Legacies, as well as your host for this episode. And joining me today is Grant Kelba, best known to to Calgarians and hockey fans around the world as Harvey the Hound. Grant, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me here. Well, we don't really have any ado for what we do, so why don't you tell us a story? Uh, Sounds great. Uh, Upon hearing the background of some of the previous guests, I I guess I have a little bit of a story to tell. And... (laughs) Uh, the creation of Harvey the Hound, I, I guess, um, uh, seems to always attract some audience. Um, way, way back when, uh, in the early 80s, when I got a job by way of connections as performing uh, uh, Ralph the Dog for the Calgary Stampeders for seven bucks an hour. <laughs> uh, that was a little f- pretty good money back then. Um, uh, I got into this whole business way back in the late 70s as Ralph the Dog uh, by way of a friend. And right from the get-go, it just seemed to click. I just seemed to have the knack for the ability to express myself non-verbally through my actions. And uh, as I continued to um, do my thing as Ralph the Dog for the next four years on a part-time basis while I went to school, I um, had a great time, and um, uh, but I always wanted to do more. Always wanted to do more, and the management at North Hill Shopping Center, who owned Ralph the Dog, <laughs> was kind of restrictive. And they said, "Just I guess the 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 boiling point came when the manager there said, "There's ten thousand people in this city that want your job. Just shut up and do what we tell you to do, and perform where we want you to perform, and leave it alone." And right then and there, I said, okay, fine, I want to do something else. Yeah, that would kind of put a bad taste in your mouth, the whole thing. Well, I was, I just wanted to do more. I knew there was more I could do. And uh, so the Flames were coming to town at the time, and they were playing in the corral at the <laughs> time, and the Saddle Dome was still being built. Uh, boy, that was a long, long time ago. Now we need a new one, apparently. Um, anyway, uh, I was introduced to uh, the PR director for the Calgary Flames because they had kicked around the idea of, getting a mascot and the Stampeders had a very successful one in Ralph the dog. So they thought, well, maybe this is what we could do. And so I um, was introduced to Al Coates and his PR assistant, Jane, who eventually became his wife. Um, And I remember going in for my very first meeting uh, and I was this young kid at 23 and I sat down at the boardroom table and he brought in a stack of proposals probably a foot thick and he slapped them down in front of me and he said those are all the mascot proposals we received so far wow how does yours differ and so i looked down at these proposals and i sort of flipped through some of the pictures and whatnot and there was one of a the flaming sea uh, as a character and another one is some sort of bear and whatnot and i looked at those and I sort of pushed them away from me and I said, tell you what, this is what I can do for you. Uh, I come from experience. You've seen me as Ralph the dog and I have some credibility. So what if I build my own mascot, my own costume and show up 
and you don't have to take any of the risk or the responsibility for this at all. So I'll build it, I'll run it, I'll manage it. If you get any phone calls pertaining to it, you just send them my way. And if it doesn't work after a game or even after a period or even after a few games, you can cut me loose and you're not stuck with a costume or a failed attempt at anything. This is all my risk. And he looked at me and he looked at his assistant and he looked back at me and he said, so there's no risk to us. And I said, no, nope, no risk. I'll, it'll be my show. If it fails, it'll all be on my head. That's a gutsy move. I was 23. <laughs> I, I thought I could take on the world. Um, and he said, okay, go for it. And that was in December of 1983. And we decided that they had just moved into the Saddle Dome at that time. Um, the crowd was being criticized for being all corporate and very, uh, very quiet anyway. They were willing to try certain things, but they didn't want to you know, stick their necks out too much. So let's let this guy try it the same way the, the trumpet player or the fiddle player um, would be brought in. So they decided to pay me game to game for a very modest amount. I think it was 35 bucks a game or something like that. And so I went home and went about building my own costume, went to the library and picked out books on dogs and decided on a Siberian Husky uh, because it's uh, for a number of reasons. It was a uh, part of a dog sled team. It's the, the difference between life and death in the north. It's a good looking dog, beautiful looking dog, mm -hmm. um, but it has a purpose and it, it, it has a, it's very Canadian. And just a, there was a whole bunch of things that, uh, that went into this creation. So I went out and tried to find all the right parts and pieces to make it happen. Couldn't find the right kind of fur at the time, so I went and bought sheepskin, actually, and built the first costume out of six sheepskin pelts, uh, which was incredibly <laughs> hot. Um, but you do what you have to do to make it launch. And, and uh, so after a number of weeks of working on this thing and hiring a seamstress and a shoemaker to help me with the, some of the equipment that I needed, Harvey the Hound was born. And actually, I didn't even have a name when I arrived at the Saddle Dome for his first night. But as I was walking from the parking lot with the costume and two garbage bags, I was thinking, oh, I don't have a name. I don't have a name. And as I walked by the corral, I looked at the corral and I went, you know, there's, uh, there's uh, the Calgary Centennial hockey team. They have a fan club called the Hockey Hounds. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then, then I realized Notre Dame Hounds in Saskatchewan are a very storied hockey franchise. And... And it's all about hockey there at that school. And they call themselves the hounds. And I went, hound, hounds. Oh, well, what goes with hound? Uh, Ralph? No, I can't use that. He's our mayor. Um, <laughs> what do I call him? What goes with hound? Uh, Frank, Fred, Ted. No, I don't want any hard sounding consonants in there. I want something very smooth that rolls off the, off the tongue. And I went, Harv, Harvey, Harvey the hound. Harv, good old Harv. And so from one side of the corral to the other side of the corral, I had my name. And so I showed up and uh, Rick Skaggs, the PR director, said, so what do you want us to do? And I said, just announce me. It's Harvey the Hound. And so they did. I showed up in the stands and the announcer came on and said, the Flames would like to welcome Harvey the Hound to the game tonight and uh, I started to perform 
I walked into the stands and when the play started, I sat down and a guy leaned over to me and he said, go to hell. And I went, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> well, like I said, it's a very corporate crowd. So they, it would take some time to warm up to to a mascot. Well, yeah. And I, it took years. And, and But I realized, you know, my audience wasn't the corporate crowd. My audience was their wives and their kids. Mm-hmm. And the non-hockey fan. And people always used to comment, oh, man, you used to get in all the games, watch all the games. I was like, what games? I never watched any hockey. <laughs> I was busy. I was busy performing for that kid. I was busy performing for that that uh, that lady who was bored out of her mind. Um, you know, when you Harvey was asked to be a ring bearer at a wedding for a couple because they used to go to the Flames games and he would watch hockey and she would watch Harvey. So they thought it would be cool to have Harvey to be the ring bearer at their wedding. <laughs> that was my audience. It was also really important for me as a mascot at the time, as a performer, the way to get to a parent is through their children. And if you can make their children laugh or if you can make their children smile or if you can make them uh, just be stimulated in a positive way, any, any way, you, the parent adores you, whether you're a clown or a mascot or some sort of a performer. And, and that's who I focused on. And so, yeah, I did a lot of hockey skits and had a lot of a lot of fun. And over the years, I did some pretty whacked out crazy things from riding a bull to riding a steer to riding a Harley Davidson (laughs) to um, water skiing, downhill skiing. I mean, I did everything in that costume. It became second nature to me. I did it for so many years. But um, but there was always uh, my motivation was to perform and be pleasant. I never tried to take advantage of the costume by uh, sexually assaulting uh, any women uh, or even overtly trying to get a hug from a pretty girl. It was that was never on my agenda. Uh, it was always treat all people the same and focus on the kids. That's great. Well, I just, you know, remember the, the beginning and I mean, I could write a book on all of the uh, uh, exploits. You know, I, I remember one time. After a game, um, coming out of my dressing room and and going to do some things down at the saddle dome, and I came back and there were six hockey players in there trying on the costume because they wanted to see how I could see. <laughs> and this was after the game, and I said, "Can I help you guys?" And and they were like, "Yeah, how do you see out of this thing?" And they're all putting it on and they're all trying it out and everything else, and and that was pretty funny. And I guess one of my my. Um, uh, one incident in particular was Mike Vernon would always tell me, hey, you should do this or hey, you should do that. Or I saw when you're doing this or I saw you were, when you're doing that. And I was like, Mike, you're playing the game. <laughs> Shouldn't you be focusing on the game? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But when the whistle goes, I got things to I got nothing to do. So I, you know, I'd watch you. And um, so there was, you know, incidents like that. And, and the players when they, you know, in their early 20s and they come into the league and they got huge egos. That's great. But when they start to get married and start having children of their own, they soften and they become real people. And it's uh, they're great guys. They're just like you and I. They're just they just happen to have uh, great skill and great talent at the time. But um, um, their egos soften and they become wonderful people. You said you never used the costume to overtly get closer than uh, than people would want you to get. Were there times when people got closer to you than they would want? I know kids have a kind of a history of attacking mascots. Yeah, that, you know, this is really interesting, and I'm really glad you asked that question because 
Um, I noticed a trend through my four years as Ralph the Dog and 15 years as Harvey the Hound. I noticed a societal shift. Um, now, as far as people being aggressive to Harvey the Hound, I could handle that. I mean, what are they going to do to a guy in a six-foot costume? You know, they're not going to hurt me in any way, and, and nor did anyone really try. But one thing I did notice is that kids over the course of the 90s became increasingly more aggressive towards mascots or towards people, I guess. And that trend probably carries on today. And it becomes it comes from a lack of respect. And um, they didn't uh, where the same age child, eight, you know, eight or nine years old may have been, you know, interested in a mascot or or been uh, playful now felt he could punch or kick. And, you know, one of my worst nightmares is when you're with a group of mass, you know, mass group of kids or a whole hockey team and that first kid throws a punch. You know, when that punch, first punch comes, you know, you've got 15 more punches coming. <laughs> and, and it never hurt or anything like that, but it certainly made it a lot more difficult to do my job um, and a little bit more frustrating. So by the time I was ready to retire, I was pretty sick of the aggressiveness that was being displayed amongst kids. Well, that's a good lesson to take home. Raise your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Teach them respect. <laughs> well, everyone knows that mascots are silent. Was there ever a time that you, you needed to speak up, that there was something that you couldn't communicate non-verbally? You know, um, I performed at thousands and thousands of events, games, pretty much every scenario possible. And I don't think there was ever a time that I felt I had to speak up. Um, you know, if I did speak up, it's because I knew the person. And I was giving them a hard time or something like that. But I was so disciplined when it came to my craft that I just, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time never said anything and never felt I had to. That's well, mark of a true professional. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak up today <laughs> and for joining us for the podcast as well as for uh, sharing some stories for our upcoming Ed Whalen project. Well, thank you very much for asking me, guys, and good luck with everything. Everybody has a story to tell. Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com to get started.